One of our key missions here at Read Aloud Revival is to help you choose great books for your kids. And choosing really good books consistently is something of an art form. Here's one thing that will make you better at choosing great books. Learning to recognize a really good author or illustrator's name. This little trick will take you far. That way, when you're at the library, in a bookshop, scrounging through a pile of books at a garage sale or a used book sale, you'll notice a book you don't recognize, but a name that you do. And that is a key skill to learning how to recognize a gem when you see it in the wild. There are certain authors and illustrators you should just snap up whenever you see books by them. And the more familiar you are with these giants of wonderful children's books, the better your home library will fare. So today I want to give a name to you to learn to recognize. When you see this woman's name on a book, you should read it, no matter what it is. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Welcome to this special edition of the Read Aloud Revival. Imagine this. You're with a group of happy people at a big barn in the little town of Damariscotta, Maine. It's a summer evening. The stars are twinkling and the light of the moon reflects off the Damariscotta River. People are chatting, moving about, giving hugs, handshakes, and filling their plates with lobster and corn on the cob, green salad, and heaps of blueberry cobbler. It's a celebration of a successful auction. Original illustrations have been auctioned off, and not just any illustrations. The illustrators who contributed them are Maurice Sendak, Jerry Pinckney, Tasha Tudor, Eric Carl, Melissa Sweet, Trina Shart-Hyman, Gail Gibbons, Lane Smith, and many, many others. Some of these artists are, in fact, milling about. Toward the end of the evening, a tiny woman with a white braid wrapped around her head pulls sparklers from a glass jar and passes them out to all in attendance. It's an explosion of low-lying stars. Who is that tiny woman with the long, elegant painter's hands and the bright blue eyes? The one who made all this happen. Oh, I bet you know her already. And if you don't, you are about to meet one of the world's greatest children's book authors and illustrators. Friends of the Read Aloud Revival, meet Barbara Cooney. You'll know Barbara Cooney's work if you're familiar with Miss Rumpheus, Island Boy, Hattie in the Wild Waves, The Oxcart Man, The Year of the Perfect Christmas Tree, The Story of Holly and Ivy, Roxaboxin, Eleanor, Letting Swift River Go, and so many others. 
Barbara Cooney illustrated 110 children's books, and she wrote a few of those as well over about 60 years. She was the winner of not one, but two Caldecott Awards, her first for the picture book Chanticleer and the Fox, her second for one of our favorite autumn books written by the poet Donald Hall, The Oxcart Man. Her books are truly wonderful. In my obviously completely unbiased opinion, they're some of the best books in existence for children. In this special edition episode, I want to introduce you to the woman behind these wonderful books. Now, Barbara passed away in 2000, so I never got a chance to meet her. But today, I'll peel back the curtain on her life just a bit so you can have the same pleasure I have in getting to know Barbara Cooney through her legacy. I'll share with you pieces from conversations I've had with her oldest son and daughter-in-law, Barnaby and Susan Porter, as well as an editor from Viking who worked with her on several books. Let's start with my own favorite. Let's start with the wonderful Miss Rumpheus. Miss Rumpheus, Story and Pictures by Barbara Cooney. The Lupin Lady lives in a small house overlooking the sea. In between the rocks around her house grow blue and purple and rose-colored flowers. The Lupin Lady is little and old. But she's not always been that way. I know. She's my great aunt, and she told me so. Once upon a time, she was a little girl named Alice who lived in a city by the sea. From the front stoop, she could see the wharves and the bristling mass of tall ships. Many years ago, her grandfather had come to America on a large sailing ship. Now he worked in the shop at the bottom of the house, making figureheads for the prows of ships carving Indians out of wood to put in front of cigar stores. For Alice's grandfather was an artist. He painted pictures, too, of sailing ships and places across the sea. When he was very busy, Alice helped him put in the skies. sat on her grandfather's knee and listened to his stories of faraway places. When he had finished, Alice would say, When I grow up, I too will go to faraway places. And when I grow old, I too will live beside the sea. That is all very well, little Alice, said her grandfather. But there is a third thing you must do. What is that? asked Alice. You must do something to make the world more beautiful, said her grandfather. All right. 
said Alice, but she did not know what that could be. In the meantime, Alice got up and washed her face and ate porridge for breakfast. She went to school and came home and did her homework. And pretty soon, she was grown up. So begins my favorite book by Barbara Cooney, Miss Rumpheus. Many thanks to Weston Woods for permission to air that portion of the audiobook. Barbara Cooney herself was a decisive woman who knew the world is a, a good and wonderful and beautiful place. And she wanted that beauty to show up on the pages of her books. She vowed never to talk down to children, and she achieved that. Her books respect children as full persons with a wide range of emotions and dreams and troubles. Her protagonists often have a keen sense of empathy for strangers and outcasts. So let's learn more about this wonderful woman who made Miss Rumpheus. She wrote it, she illustrated it, she took home two Caldecott Awards and made so very many stories for children. Barbara was born in room 1127 of the Hotel Bossert in Brooklyn Heights. She was the odd one out in her family, a girl in a house of rough-and-tumble boys. But Barbara knew beauty when she saw it. She tried to pin that beauty she saw to the page through her art. Over time, she traveled all over the world as she made her books, including France, Spain, Greece, North Africa, Mexico, Finland, and... She returned home from each trip with notebooks full of sketches and notes, hundreds of photographs, and boxes of reference books. She never felt more alive than when she was traveling. Her attention to detail in those books is astounding. In fact, if you have a copy of Miss Rumpheus, look for the St. Nicholas icon on the dedication page. That was based on a tin medal that she found during her travels to Greece. The soft gray blanket on Miss Rumpheus's bed that's a blanket that Barbara Cooney actually bought when she was traveling. She wrote and illustrated Eleanor, a picture book biography about Eleanor Roosevelt. And if you look carefully, you'll see a lot of very historically accurate details, including Eleanor's baptismal gown that she wore as a baby. The very intricate design is absolutely accurate. Carpeting designs in her books, room layouts, structures, buildings, they are often based on real places in Barbara's life. And if you saw the photographs of the actual places and things and the likeness that she painted, it's breathtaking. Okay, but I'm talking too much. Let's hear from someone who knew Barbara Cooney in the flesh, shall we? The illustrating came more easily to her than the writing, and she labored over the writing, although she was very good at it. That's Regina Hayes, editor-at-large at Viking, the publisher of Barbara Cooney's most celebrated books. I think she was not as confident in it as she was in her illustrating. Although, again, in her illustrating, she loved to tell the story of how one of her early editors had told her she had no eye for color. <laughs> and, I mean, you have only to look at those books to know she had an absolutely exquisite eye for color. Yeah. Um, but I think it took her a long time to become confident in her use of color. 
um, which is surprising, isn't it? But with her writing, she labored draft after draft after draft um, to boil it down to exactly what she wanted. I do think in many ways that was the beginning of Barbara blossoming as an author-illustrator. Wow, yeah. Which is after she won both of her Caldecotts, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, I remember when I first saw Oxcart Man, Barbara Hennessy, who was the art director, who was Little B, um, had (laughs) brought it to me at lunch one day. And I remember I looked at it and said to her, oh, Barbara, you better think where to put the medal because it was so (laughs) exquisite. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is going to blow everything else out of the water. Yeah. And it did. Yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> it totally did. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I mean, she was just, I think, an amazing person. Amazing. I just wish we had more time together. Regina told me that Barbara was strong-willed, adventurous, curious, an intrepid perfectionist, talented, a very small person with a very big personality. As an artist, Barbara liked to use real references as she painted, I got to speak with her oldest son, Barnaby, a little about that. She really uh, liked to have what she was drawing right before her, if at all possible. So when she did Chanticleer and the Fox, for example, um, a local farmer, he loaned her this beautiful bantam rooster and a couple of hens, and we had them in cages in our house for quite a long time. (laughs) And... uh, that's how she was able to get some really, really good illustrations of chickens yeah. and a beautiful, beautiful rooster. And when she did a series of books, um, Mouse Family, I mean, there was the Gray Mouse Family, I guess that was the name, but there were three or four of these books. And she had a little mouse cage on her drawing table. It was shaped like a house, had an exercise wheel and so forth. And... Uh, I don't know if I caught the mice for her or if she caught them somehow herself. She she drew an awful lot of pictures of mice. And I remember in the days when she used to do chalk talks at various schools and places like that. And one of the things she would always draw would be a mouse. And she'd always explain at the outset. She said, I always start a mouse at the tip of its tail. So that was that was how she drew a mouse. Barnaby told me another story about his mother and mice. At one point, Barbara discovered she had mice living in her car, a bright blue Subaru she named the Blue Hornet. She'd been noticing certain irregularities in the car, shredded bits of an old paper napkin, a woolen glove that had looked chewed on, (laughs) an acorn on the seat. The car had been in the garage through the winter, and a family of mice had made themselves somewhat comfortable during those cold months. Well, now her adult son, Barnaby, inspected the car for her and told her he was pretty sure the mice had moved on and were no longer bunking in the Blue Hornet so she could drive it. But still, she wasn't quite so sure. One day before leaving for Boston, she stopped by Barnaby's to say goodbye. Have you seen any sign of the mice lately? He asked. I wouldn't want you to be startled behind the wheel doing 50 when one of them runs over your feet. Oh, that won't be a problem, Barbara replied. I took care of it, see? And she leaned back in her seat and pointed down to her feet. Sure enough, she had big rubber bands bound around both of her pant legs at the ankles, so no mice would run up them. <laughs> I used to raise mice as a kid. I had all, oh, I had, I don't know, maybe even a hundred of them. I had all kinds of mice. I was 
breeding them. I was I was trying to <laughs> was trying to breed the perfect Palomino mouse. And one time, Susan's younger sister came down to see my mouse menagerie, and uh, and there were these very cute little baby mice. The problem with baby mice is they're real jumpers, and I took them out of this cage, and they were leaping all over the place like popcorn. And one of them fell on the on the floor of the cellar and ran right up um, her sister's pant leg. And she completely freaked out, ran up the stairs, ran out of the house in the driveway, and I was yelling to her to pull her pants down <laughs> to get rid of them up. She, she finally managed to shake it out of her <laughs> pant leg, but so much traumatized. Yeah, so mice have played a certain role in our lives. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and your mom was probably like, hold that thing, I want to sketch it. <laughs> Barbara was adventurous, too, and she was always traveling as research for her books. She became very good friends with Barnaby's wife, her daughter-in-law, Susan. I talked to Susan, and she told me about a particularly adventurous run-in they had with a donkey in Greece. Susan and Barbara watch a man tether his donkey. They're in Greece, right? And he tethers his donkey, but the donkey is not very happy about it and starts kicking up his heels. Barbara and Susan get up a little closer to get a better look. As we approached, he got loose and started chasing us down the road. And he ended up running towards the sea, and there were some very low houses. And we sat on the roof of one of the houses. And we didn't know what we were going to do. And fortunately, a man grabbed the leash or went after him and got him. And we were safe. But we had considered running into the the water. We did have a a lot of fun on those trips. Yeah, I should point out, Sarah, um, my mother really had tremendous zest for life. She had a wonderful sense of humor, but... I mean, things like that, she took very much in stride, even if she was scared to death. But, I mean, I think she just felt more alive than ever when she was traveling because there was just so much she couldn't get enough of it. Barbara raised four children in Massachusetts with her husband, a country doctor. She loved picnicking with her children. She was, Barnaby told me, a picnicker of the first water, pulling out all the stops for a lavish outdoor meal. One story I found particularly moving was written by her mother-in-law. Barbara, she said, was an astoundingly good mother. In fact, when Barnaby, the oldest of her four children, had a difficult time with the arrival of younger siblings, he was feeling a little starved for Mama's time and attention. Well, Barbara's solution was to rise an hour earlier in the morning so she could have some time just for Barnaby right at the outset of the day. Her mother-in-law wrote that it's a special sacrifice for an already sleep-deprived, tired mother to lovingly give her son the first hour of the morning, and yet it's exactly what she did. I told Barnaby I had read this account, and this was his response. She was a good mother. She was pretty good at coping with problems like that. Mm. I got to say, she she was, had boundless energy. It's really quite amazing. Aww. Even when she was late, she could pull an all-nighter if she had to to do certain things. Um, she, she was tiny, but she was tough. 
Barnaby told me that it didn't matter where she was in a project, in her work, in her illustrations, if her kids interrupted her, she put her paintbrush down, she gave them her full attention, and then she'd pick up right where she left off. Here is one thing I know for sure about Barbara Cooney after speaking with Regina Hayes and indeed with Barnaby and Susan. She was unforgettable. We were in ALA and of all places, Las Vegas. Talk about an inappropriate venue. (laughs) But (laughs) we were going, I think, to the Newberry dinner and Barbara had the most marvelous outfit that she had bought in India. It was a turquoise tunic and hot pink silk pants, you know, tight at the ankle. And this incredible hot pink shawl that she just had draped over one shoulder. And most people, when they drape it over one shoulder, it falls off. But in Barbara, it didn't dare fall off. It was just there. (laughs) And she was walking along this little corridor that led to the ballroom. And it was going past, I don't remember, the white tigers who were in, you know, some case. And everybody going past. They weren't looking at the tigers. They were looking at Barbara, this little five-foot-tall woman with her white braids and her bright blue eyes, and this bearing of a queen was just walking along, and everybody was just mesmerized by her. She had such presence. She was just, for her time in particular, and her upbringing, you know, a very privileged upper-class upbringing, Barbara was just as adventurous and strong-willed and curious and determined to be an artist and a complete perfectionist in everything she did, and above all, so talented. She was full of life and zest. She had a sense of adventure, a love for beauty. She was persistent, hardworking, loving, kind. I asked Barnaby and his wife Susan what they wished the world knew about Barbara Cooney. This is what they said. She opened my eyes to beauty in this world. She was always urging me to look at this or look at that. Look at the, look at the view, look at the landscape. She'd point out little tiny lichens on the forest floor and things like that. She, she made me very aware of my natural surroundings. She would feel that way, too, that it, uh, what you said is about appreciating natural beauty. And just the beauty around you. Um, nature, but also in people, and find what's beautiful about people. And you know, she didn't just open her own children's eyes to the beauty of the world and the people in it. She's done that for all of us through her books. And what a gift they are. Shortly before she died, Barbara Cooney decided to do something even more to make the world more beautiful. Which brings us back to that summer auction, that auction of illustrations by the Damariscotta River on a clear summer evening. One of the things she wanted to do as she was kind of winding up her affairs is she wanted to do something for our community, Damariscotta, Maine, um, a town which had thoroughly embraced her. She just loved the place and she wanted to do something for the town something meaningful. She decided she wanted to uh, build a new library or, or, you know, take a big hand in bringing a new library to the town. We had a good library, but it was in an old house, nowhere near big enough and so forth. So she launched this idea of of rebuilding the same library, which has kept its name. It's called Skidampa. One of her ideas 
was to get in touch with many of her colleagues, her favorites in the business, and ask them to please contribute an original work from one of their books. And um, she got an amazing number of them to agree to do just that. And so we held this wonderful auction. We raised $110,000 in one night. She had this wonderful summer party. One of the things, she, she kind of liked these sparklers. What do they call them? Morning glories? They're, um, they're fancier than just regular sparklers, and they have many different colors. So she handed out these sparklers to everyone. It was evening. It was, you know, it was beginning to get dark, and it was, it was just a wonderful scene. And looking back on it, this was really very much, I mean, it was right at the very end of her working life. That was, in many ways, the pinnacle of her career. I don't think I've ever seen her happier than on that night. That auction, along with another generous donation from Barbara herself, spurred the building of a new, bigger library for Damariscotta, Maine. A library that would introduce the kids of the town she loved to the stories that would take them anywhere they wanted to go. She had planned to live to be a hundred, but alas, not all of our plans go as we wished. Barbara passed away shortly after the auction at the age of 82, but her life and her work live on in the pages of some of the best books our children have the privilege to read. Thank you, thank you, Barbara Cooney. This has been a special edition of the Read Aloud Revival podcast, written, narrated, and produced by Sarah McKenzie. Many thanks to Barnaby and Susan Porter and to Regina Hayes for getting on the phone with me for the show. Also thanks to Weston Woods for permission to use a portion of the audiobook Miss Rumpius, written and illustrated by Barbara Cooney, narrated by Claire Danes. You'll find my own favorite books by Barbara Cooney in the show notes at readaloudrevival.com slash Barbara. Meanwhile, anytime you see a book with Barbara Cooney's name on the cover, whether that be at your library, a bookstore, a used bookshop, or a garage sale, snap it up. You'll be glad you did. She was a gift to so many, and she continues to be a gift to us all through the books on our children's shelves.